Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Episode 11, Not the Old Style Church. The members wanted a Grecian-style building for their new church in the Capitol Hill District, sometimes referred to as Grecian Temple. To oversee the construction project, First Church of Christ Scientist Seattle approved the formation of an executive directorate consisting of the seven elected members of the board, the elected president, and a board-appointed building committee, initially with Alan H. Armstrong as chair. They also created a finance committee to advise the board. Mr. Armstrong explained to prospective architects that they wanted general style, same as adopted by many of our people, not the old-style church. The initial goal was a fireproof auditorium with no gallery that would seat 1,200 to 1,500 people, plus a large foyer, all for less than $100,000. Later, the building committee added to their list best possible acoustics, ample heating and ventilation, stone exterior, and perhaps a dome with sunburst for part of the light. They wanted an organ and pews, but the committee reiterated the importance of a design that was away from the old church style. Through a design contest by invitation in late summer 1907, the church selected Bebb and Mendel Architects, the most prominent Seattle architectural firm at that time. As Charles H. Bebb mentioned in his Statement of Qualifications letter, the company had just been awarded the design work for the Washington State Pavilion at the upcoming 1909 International Fair in Seattle, the Alaska-Yukon Pacific Exposition, the AYP. First Church chose Bebb and Mendel over two architects who were Christian scientists, George Wesley Bullard, a prominent architect in Tacoma, and Solon Spencer Beeman, the nationally known architect from Chicago who had designed the Mother Church Extension, 25 Christian Science branch churches so far, and had established the neoclassical standard for Christian Science churches. The Bebb and Mendel team must have made a very strong impression. The building committee's choice was quick and approved by the directorate with apparently little discussion. Around this time, the building committee moved its meetings from Mr. Armstrong's practitioner office to Oliver C. McGilvra's law office, or occasionally the McGilvra residence just off Madison Street. Oliver McGilvra was an attorney who was unusually wealthy from an inheritance from his father, Judge John J. McGilvra, 
who had acquired 420 acres of prime Seattle real estate during the early pioneer days. What became Madison Street had originally served as a lengthy private road the judge used to commute from the McGilver estate on the shore of Lake Washington to his law office downtown. John McGilver, who would one day have a boulevard, a public school, and a park named after him, had a law partnership with Thomas Burke, a civic-minded railroad attorney and former Chief Justice of the Washington Supreme Court, who would one day have a museum and an urban trail named after him. Oliver, John McGilver's only son, was following in his father's footsteps in the legal profession and in partnership with Burke, who had also become Oliver's brother-in-law. In 1907, Oliver became associated with the Christian Science Church. Even before his membership was official, McGilver was speaking about Christian science at public events, starting with introducing a Christian science lecture by Dr. Francis J. Fluno at the Grand Opera House. When Oliver and his wife Maud became members of First Church in November 1907, McGilver was appointed to the building committee. He began hosting the meetings at the Burke, Shepherd, and McGilver Law Office on the fourth floor of the Burke Building at Second and Marion. The following year, McGilver became church president. Having such a prominent Seattle citizen take a strong leadership role in the church must have helped accelerate the momentum of the building project and the growth of the congregation. They certainly had come a long way from the early days, 15 years prior, when the modest little band of beginners first started holding meetings at a downtown boarding house. These far western students of Christian science wanted to share the good news with their leader about the expensive edifice they planned to build. On behalf of the church, Armstrong and McGilvra sent a special package to Mary Baker Eddy. They sent her a leather-bound photo album that included an artist's rendering of the design, along with architectural plans showing several cross-sections. The album also included photographs of commercial fishing in Seattle, illustrating and explaining the entire process of catching salmon and canning it. They also sent a case of canned salmon, and two fresh fish packed in ice, along with a letter of greeting. This unique Puget Sound gift package was intended to provide a moment of interest and a gourmet treat for their leader. But because of the extreme demands on Eddie's time, she may never have even known about it. As they were preparing to build, going through the design process, getting construction estimates, and looking into different types of stone and other materials, attendance at their church services overflowed, making it impossible to stay in their chapel, even with two Sunday services. In the spring of 1908, they moved to a larger auditorium, Christensen Hall at Broadway and Madison Streets. 
According to one early church history, remarkable cases of healing were taking place daily. The members were expanding spiritually. Demand for Mary Baker Eddy's textbook was increasing, and the growth was continuous. During the two years at Christensen Hall, attendance increased to 1,000. On the question of how to welcome strangers, handle the influx of new members from diverse backgrounds, and run their organization, the members made a conscious choice not to rely on what they called the old methods adopted by other churches. This church was about doing things in a new way. All the members were on the welcoming committee. Everyone would be involved in the building project and kept informed of the progress. On December 8, 1908, the members voted unanimously to proceed at once with the building project as planned. Excavation work began in January. Under the presidency of Mr. McGilvra, the membership body would make many more decisions about the building project. They decided to build with stone on all four sides rather than just a facade facing the street. They chose Bedford limestone from Indiana, the same stone used for the Mother Church extension, instead of local chuckanut stone. They voted to sell their chapel and put the money toward construction of the new stone temple. All these recommendations from the building committee were approved by the membership with little discussion. But when a proposal was made to build a temporary wood structure inside the foundation for holding services while the stone walls were being built around it, it was strongly rejected. Almost two-thirds of the members present voted against it. They voted against even exploring the idea any further. So, on June 9, 1909, when first reader William K. Sheldon ended the Wednesday testimony meeting early, at the request of the board, and President McGilvra announced to the membership that the board thought it wise to proceed with construction of the temporary structure. It almost certainly caused a stir within the membership. The following Tuesday, there was a special meeting of the board. After a long informal talk, Edwin W. Craven moved to proceed with the construction of a temporary structure. Francis Carlton Baker spoke strongly against the motion. She read a long statement from Mr. Sheldon that referred to the recent membership vote against this course of action. The involvement of Sheldon in the board discussion was significant because as the first reader Although he was not a leader, according to Mary Baker Eddy's organizational design, he was responsible for enforcing the church bylaws and protecting the democratic process. Mrs. Baker had served as first reader prior to Sheldon, so some members could have felt that she, too, held special authority. But despite the vigorous protests made by Mrs. Baker, 
the motion to build a temporary structure passed. All the board members voted for it, except Mrs. Baker. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.